Hi, welcome to Haigeret, or The Message, a unique journal of original and plagiarized Jewish thought in the merit of my grandfather, Benjamin Arye Ben Meir, and for a refuah shlema, a complete healing for Esther Batsipora. This week's Parsha begins to wrap up Yosef, or Joseph's, isolation in Egypt. As we read in last week's Parsha, Miketz, in the second year of the famine that Joseph so deftly interpreted from Pharaoh's dream, Yosef's brothers leave Israel to get grain from Egypt. When they come before Yosef, his brothers don't recognize him, which is credible. He's now 39, and the last time they saw him was when he was 17, and he's dressed and groomed like an Egyptian. But Yosef recognizes them, and he decides to put them through a little test. Yosef demands that the brothers leave and come back, but this time with their youngest brother, Yosef's full brother, the son of Yaakov, Jacob, and Yosef's mother, Rachel, Rachel, Benjamin, or Benjamin. He wants to see if the brothers have changed since their awful treatment of Yosef so many years ago. And so before letting them go, Yosef hides a silver goblet in Benjamin's bag. Yosef takes Benjamin to be his prisoner because he's accused of stealing, but immediately Yehuda, or Judah, jumps to Benjamin's defense, which is where our Parsha this week, Vayigash, picks up. Yehuda demands that he be taken instead, claiming that Yaakov won't survive losing Benjamin because he has already lost his other beloved son, Yosef. Yehuda's plea is so moving and genuine that Yosef breaks down and reveals his identity to his brothers. It's a really moving moment, one that is unique because the Torah doesn't often describe emotional expressions in such detail. Even when Yosef reveals who he is, the brothers are still shocked and even embarrassed, terrified that now Yosef will take revenge on them for uh, their actions when he was 17. But Yosef says something very powerful, proving that he doesn't blame his brothers for their treatment of him. He says, you did not send me here. God did. Lo atem shlach temoti. Heina ki ha'elohim. Yosef expresses an incredible sentiment that only someone in his situation can truly understand. We are really just godly agents on this earth. Of course, we have free will, bechira, but what will be will be. Masha, yeah, yeah. It's a complicated topic that I don't think I'll ever truly grasp. Yosef's brothers finally accept that he has forgiven them, and Pharaoh insists that, that now they all move to Egypt. This news of Yosef's brothers is specifically mentioned as being pleasing or good in the eyes of Vaitav Be'enai, of Pharaoh and his servants. But why would Pharaoh and his servants be happy that Yosef's brothers came from Israel and were now going to live in Egypt? And even on a broader level, what makes anyone happy ever? We're happy about a lot of things. We're happy when good things happen to people we love or people who deserve good things. And of course, when good things happen to us. I'm sure you've read those pop psychology articles about how sharing good news with others leads to secondhand positivity, which has been recorded as leading to better communication, healthier relationships and healthier working environments, and even better sleep. A study at the University of Rochester saw that when undergraduate students shared happy events with others and were greeted with enthusiasm, they were in a better mood and rated that event as being more special or more fulfilling than if met with indifference. We are happy to share happiness with others. We're happy that our happiness makes others happy too. It's a no-brainer that happy things that happen to us make us happy, but why do happy things that happen to others make us happy too? Being happy for others is very basic altruism, or the moral principle of concern for the happiness of other humans. Altruism in the context of biology is even more interesting. 
Altruism in a biological sense is when an individual performs an action that while at the cost to themselves, benefits another individual without the expectation of reciprocity or compensation for that action. We are invested in the happiness of our friends and family, and for the most part, we don't consciously expect reciprocity, except for when we do. While it would be nice to see Pharaoh and his servants' happiness at Yosef's family reunion as pure altruism, according to medieval commentator Rav Avadius Sforno, it was more like reciprocal altruism. Reciprocal altruism is simply altruism that expects some give and take. Though Yosef had a wife and children in Egypt, his heart would always feel far if his father and brothers were in Israel. Now, with his whole family living in Egypt, the Egyptian people were comforted that Yosef was invested in their country. Ravavadi Sforno comments that Pharaoh and his servants saw that if Yosef's family was in Egypt, he would have more of a stake in the country's welfare and do his duties more diligently. And they're pretty much right. You must have a stake in the future to be able to accurately plan for it. Pharaoh and his servants being happy for Yosef because it benefited them doesn't lessen their altruism, though. It just makes it easier to understand. I would like to believe that all things we do are out of pure altruism, but if we're looking hard enough, we gain truly from everything we do. Even the most seemingly selfless of actions. Which is not a bad thing, it's good. Caring about yourself isn't so bad, and being interested in what suits us is human nature. To be invested in ourselves, to care primarily about our own interests, it's survival instinct. To continue with our ecological theme, let's talk about natural selection or survival of the fittest. The idea that those with superior genes will ultimately outlive those with inferior genes and therefore succeed in passing on their genetic line. In the early days of our existence, if you weren't constantly watching out for your own survival, you were a goner. And so the reward for watching your back was that you got to live to perpetuate your genes. Like Pharaoh and his servants, we should be looking out for our own interests, but never to the exclusion of others. I really tried to think of as many examples of a non-reciprocal action, but I honestly couldn't think of any. Because if you can think of something, please let me know. I Maybe I'm totally off. But even giving a kidney to a person who's a match gives you some merit and a cool scar. I'm being hyperbolic, but maybe it just depends on how you look at it. If you share your lunch, you get to nourish someone else, and you cut your calories in half. If you pick up trash on the sidewalk and no one sees you, you still made the street a more attractive place. If you donate money to a worthy cause, you are part of that cause's good acts. I could go on, but you get it. Nothing we do is truly selfless, but nothing we do is truly non-beneficial. So I guess we have no excuse for not walking around all day doing a mitzvot. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please do rate, review, or subscribe. And I hope you have a Shabbat Shalom.